and welcome to our weekly ICT4D conference podcast. My name is Sonia Ritzel from CRS and I'm interviewing experts for you to talk about digital development trends, innovations and good practice. Today I'm speaking with Mala Kumar. Thank you for joining us. Could you please tell us about yourself and your work at GitHub? Hi, Sonia. Great to be here. Um, so my name is Mala Kumar. I founded and lead the Tech for Social Good program on the GitHub Social Impact team. Prior to joining GitHub, I worked in ICT4D, mostly in UX research and design for about a decade. Mala, I'd like to ask you about open source solutions. With increased digitization and additional budget concerns due to the pandemic and economic situation, Development and humanitarian agencies are increasingly using open source platforms while looking for new innovations. GitHub has done some research on opportunities and barriers of open source adoption in the development and humanitarian sector. Would you like to share your findings with us? So when I came into GitHub about a year and a half ago, I actually started out leading a program that was then called Open Source for Good. I since expanded it out to all of tech for social good to take better advantage, uh, particularly with GitHub products, for instance. But open source was a really great way for community building. And one of the things that I did coming into the program was basically a huge research project. So I worked with Gina Asaf, who we contracted out, and she led kind of a human-centered design research project that involved a lot of semi-structured interviews that ended up producing user personas and a pretty detailed mapping of the what we call the social sector. So basically any organization that positively advances or contributes to a sustainable development goal, human rights, social good, whichever you know framework or construct you want to use, I think um, it's kind of one of those, like you know it when you see it sort of situations. Based on all of the research that she did that took even, I think about six months or even more, we then wrote a report that we released in April, 2020. So that report is called Open Source Software in the Social Sector. And you can download the report for free at socialimpact.github.com backslash the hash symbol report. Thank you. We've linked the report in the podcast description. So the main sections of the report that we ended up writing were kind of the mutual benefit of deepening open source software in the social sector, and then how open source software is communicated and socialized, best practices, funding models, and sustainability. So I think it's important to kind of understand the greater open source context, because obviously open source goes far beyond what we know in the social sector. And open source these days really tends to be a lot of corporate tech, um, big tech driven work. So Microsoft, for instance, has an entire open source office now in the organization, and then other big tech companies are following suit. So a lot of open source developers really come into it because they want to better their skills, they want to add something to their CV, connect to new communities. And while we do see quite a lot of that in open source um, in the social sector, there are definitely some opportunities and barriers that I think are specific to this sector. So some of the big opportunities that we saw through the research were really federated organizations like ICRC, and then organizations like UNICEF, which have multiple country, city, regional, however they're organized offices around the world they tend to have a better chance of implementing open source because they can have it grow from one office and then kind of scale it across different offices. So, you know, a lot of that, or they can even start at the HQ level, like with Rapid Pro and UNICEF, and then bring it down to different places in the world. And so even if not all country offices, you know, take, take that software in at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity to grow the ecosystem, to bring developers from around the world to 
contribute to that work and then also to really test it out and make sure it's, it's what needs to happen for a specific use case. I think one other thing that's really important to note is through DIAL at the UN Foundation and then Mozilla, there are some specific funding opportunities for open source in the social sector. And I'd say another opportunity that's really pertinent for the social sector is, you know, the GitHub mobile app launched last year. As more functionality increases, we have a better chance of getting diverse socioeconomic and geographies of people participating. Thank you. As clearly, there is a lot of opportunities and benefits of open source solutions. But how, how about the barriers and challenges? I think some major challenges in the open source and the social sector space is that there's a big misconception around open source software and open data. Another thing that we've run into is that there's really an unclear path in many parts of the world of being an open source expert to gaining good employment. And then a lot of funders in the social sector do tend to advocate for open source without really understanding what it entails, what are some of the major pros and cons, and what an organization would need to do in order to successfully implement a piece of software. Mana, I would like to ask you, are there any specific innovations or initiatives you have seen over the last few months that you are really excited about? One of the things that kind of came up in the research that I've seen examples of since that I'm kind of excited about is this idea of apps, so pieces of software that have a GUI, a graphic user interface, which tend to actually be the overwhelming majority of cases, use cases that we see in the social sector. So I'd say 19 out of 20 times or even 49 out of 50 times that somebody approaches me with an issue using open source, it's because they want to t basically take a tool that has a GUI and customize it for their use case. Open source in the broader ecosystem actually focuses a lot less on these apps, like these standalone tools, and more on what we call infrastructure tech. So things like APIs, scripts to make your server run faster, all of the stuff that doesn't necessarily have a graphic user interface, but is basically code that a developer would read. So I think an interesting innovation that has come up a couple times in our research and since is that there are some efforts to basically parse out the two. Um, one really good example that was in our report was Dan Blah. Um, he ran the Signal app, and so he was able to take the standalone app and separate that out from some of the infrastructure code. And according to him, like the infrastructure code was used way more, like many, many times more than the standalone app. And so I think that's a really interesting use case where the social sector is really producing something that's of use to the greater world and it can take off and be funded in different ways and really be, I guess, advertised or marketed or communicated in different ways than the standalone app. I think another thing that's really interesting um, that has kind of come out since the research is that you know, in open source, generally, a lot of it is about reducing duplication of efforts. And I think that's absolutely true, what we see in the social sector, especially with, for instance, different UN agencies speaking to each other, um, different public health agencies, like people working in like kind of common areas. So another thing that really separates open source in the broader ecosystem than in the social sector is that a lot of open source in the broader world is really organized around different technologies. So let's say I'm a JavaScript developer, I'm going to go out and find a community that's working on JavaScript tooling or the frameworks. And so I would orient myself around that versus what we see a lot in the social sector, which is, yes, there are people that are passionate about a specific tool like Open Data Kit, but there's also people that are just passionate about causes or their work is organized around thematic areas. And so they're not searching on GitHub a particular framework or a, you know, a coding language. They're searching for things like public health or education. And so one of the interesting things that I've been able to do through my work at GitHub was start 
basically a new open source community called the Merle Center. And I actually presented on that yesterday with a few of my Merle Center working group members at the American Evaluation Association Conference. And so the Merle Center is essentially a community of monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning practitioners who are creating resources on if, how, and when to use open source as part of their Merle solutions. We run everything through GitHub repos, and we do everything on Google Docs. Um, we have governance structures in place. We've got standing calls, and we've got a Slack channel, our Slack workspace. So we have all of the kind of like tooling, I guess, to make sure that this community is really collaborating. And we're up to people from 13 countries and 11 time zones. There are about 35 active members. And one of the really great things about this particular kind of community building in open source is that we're mostly driven by women of color, which you almost never see in open source communities. So I think one of the great things that I'm kind of pushing other people to do and I'm trying to do through my program at GitHub is really focus on this community building aspect and this community building aspect in terms of thematic or cause motivated work. Because I do think there's a lot that we can learn from the way in which open source communities work that is kind of antithetical, I'd say, to a lot of ICT for D organizations in a good way. I've got people who have two years of experience working with people who have 20 years of experience. I've got people working across different countries, and I've got people working in ways that they just wouldn't be allowed to do in their own organizations. And I'm really excited about what that future could hold. Thank you. Yes, the diversity is certainly key. And I liked hearing that you're giving so much guidance on uh, navigating through all these um, offerings of tools and solutions. I think it's it's hardly ever the lack of technology available. It's about making the decision or finding the right technology for the right solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and my final question for you is around partnerships. You mentioned that open source are very driven by big technology companies. My question is, how can we better include local organizations, especially in low-income countries where there is the biggest need for those innovations? And also, how could we better engage entrepreneurial companies new to the sector? This is an interesting point that's come up through the Merle Center and in a few other places that I'm working. I think one thing that's really important for a lot of people listening on this podcast to understand is that the decisions you make about your technology in federated organizations or in organizations that have like a, a designated headquarters in HQ, your technology decisions at HQ will affect all of the city, country, regional offices around the world in your organization. So one of the case studies that's being explored now through the Merle Center is the use of open source in NGOs in East Africa. And this is basically like one of the thesis statements of that. It's because if I'm working at a local branch of a, an NGO, let's say in Nairobi, I don't necessarily get to make the decisions about what technology the overall organization uses. And so that really limits what I can implement and deploy and what I can use for my own organization, for instance. So I think if we wanna see a greater uptick in kind of economically developing countries, low and middle income countries, then we have to be cognizant that at HQs and these organizations that, or these uh, offices that have a lot of power, we have a disproportionate power over the choice of technology that other offices may use. Now that's not to say that everything should be completely distributed and you need to build the same system 50 times for 50 different countries, but I do think that there needs to be greater flexibility in what people can choose to do and how they can choose to work. A lot of the tooling that we're using is not anything that's outside of like standard tech companies. I mean, basically everything we're using are standardized tools, but the way in which we're using it and engaging the social sector, I think is the more innovative part. And I think other organizations can 
hopefully incorporate that into their plans in, in upcoming years. I think one other thing that I'll point out from this first part of your question is that I'm really excited for, and I don't have a ton of evidence to back this up. This is really just the trend that I've been noticing and that did come out of our research that we mentioned in the report. We are seeing more technologists getting into positions of funding social sector technology. And I think that's super important for the fact that if you have somebody who can read code, write code, comes from that background, I think, you know, it just adds another dimension of what is actually funded and it gets us beyond these abstract concepts of let's do everything open source when possible or this is the best standard. It's really about the practical implementation of that work. You know, I'm working now with UNICEF on some digital public goods work and that's exactly what the alliance that they've created is doing is taking this concept from the Secretary General's report on the digital roadmap of open source or like openness to like pr practical implementation phase. and really happy that at GitHub we, we have a voice in that and we can come together and work in concert with UNICEF and other organizations in the social sector to figure out what does that mean on, from a platform and product perspective, what does that mean for a community building perspective, what does that mean for messaging and socialization of the concept, and what does that impact look like in the future of software and tools and data, all of the ICT for D components in the social sector. Thank you for sharing this trend you noticed and also, as you said earlier, it is often rather a question about technology, but very much a question about cultural change. I'm already at the end of my questions. And is there anything else you would like to add? I guess the last point is, you know, I'll plug my work shamelessly because I do think what we're doing at GitHub is really innovative and interesting. I do think that as we move forward, we just see that big tech has a a bigger and bigger role in pretty much every aspect of our lives. I think all of us in the ICT for D, you know, field understand that and we've understood that for a long time. So if you can work with corporate tech companies directly, if you can work with other tech companies directly, then try to do that because I think the trajectory I see pretty much all the time is somebody will start out in a big tech company and then they'll move over to the social sector. I'm one of the few people that did the opposite. So I worked at the UN for a long time and for some other ICT for D organizations before I then came over to GitHub. And I think for the fact that I was able to just bring kind of a coherency to the community of people that already existed on GitHub and like these individual pockets and talk about it in, again, coherent terms was huge. I'm not saying that I'm going to change the world or that single-handedly will, will do that. But I do think, again, we're introducing concepts that have made a lot of corporate tech companies very successful uh, to the social sector. And of course, GitHub is learning a lot in exchange. So highly encourage people to seek out these roles and maybe cold email some people at companies and see what can be created because I think we have a lot to learn from each other and the closer that we can align some of this work, the more influence we'll have over products and platforms, et cetera. And I think it'll be for the better. Thank you, that's a great call, um, call to action for our audience. And I might also like to add that we are planning an ICT4D partnerships conference, a virtual conference on January the 12th. So this is a save the date and more information will follow. All right. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thanks so much, Sonia. Okay, Bye. Thanks.